Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Welcome to the Get Better Wellness Radio Show. Today is Wednesday, June 12th, and I'm your host, Erin Chamberlick, the Real Food Revivalist, coming to you live from Chicago. So this is where we talk about um, how to get people well, how to get you better and get you off prescription medications uh, that come with all those nasty side effects. Or how about if you're tired of all that endless dieting that doesn't work for long-term weight loss? You know, would you like to learn how to just get better and lose weight permanently without starving yourself? Well, when we stop eating factory food that's loaded with chemicals and artificial ingredients and additives and preservatives, we open up the door to healing and weight loss. And we are going to talk about real food today for your real life. So visit my website, getbetterwellness.com. And we have a great show for you today. We are talking about the benefits of a ketogenic diet for cancer. And on this show, if you're a regular listener, you might remember that I interviewed oncologist Colin Champ, also known as the caveman doctor last June and then again in July, and we talked about a similar topic, can a caveman diet help fight cancer? And it's pretty powerful information, and I wanted to bring um, this topic up for discussion again today. So my guest on today's podcast is Ellen Davis. Ellen is the creator and owner of the website ketogenic-diet-resource.com, And this website is devoted to sharing information on the health benefits of ketogenic diets. You know, she is a supporter of ketogenic diets in all forms. And if you don't know what that means, hang in there. We are going to talk about the specifics of that. But Ellen attributes, you know, her devotion to personal experience that she's had and we'll get into her personal story, too. Ellen uh, comes to us this morning from Cheyenne, Wyoming. I feel like I'm introducing a Miss America candidate. <laughs> Welcome, Ellen. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yay. Well, um, most recently I received an email that your new ebook was released called Fight Cancer with a Ketogenic Diet. And I read it and uh knew I wanted to have you on the show when I heard about it. So um, let me just give that website out again, um, ketogenic-diet-resource.com, and you can find um, her book there. But we're just glad to have you, Alan. And um, before we get into the details of, you know, ketogenic diets and things like that, um, I just want to start with your personal story because I know it's it's like mine. We got sick. We had to find our own answers. We got well, and we can't shut up about it now, and we have to help yeah. people. So, so exactly. That's a great way to put it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it started for me in 2008. I, uh, you know, I grew up in a um, um, middle-class household, and my parents were not real educated about nutrition, and so we ate what was convenient and cheap, as probably many families do. And um, so I grew up eating a lot of sugar and a lot of starch, and uh, my mother, you know, had diabetes, and my father had heart disease, and lots of things happened. Uh, my parents died very young. My father died when I was 17 and my mother when I was 28, and a large part of it was because of their health problems. And uh, 
So as I got older, you know, I used to worry about that but didn't really do much about finding out how to stop that from happening. So when I was in my late 40s, I started having um, health issues, uh, much like you were talking about, just, uh, um, you know, vision blurred and burning in my feet, you know, basic pre-diabetes mm-hmm. kind of symptoms, and it really scared me. And I um, now, started you looking at my... Now, were you going to the doctor at this time? Were you going to the no, doctor at this as... time or your test? No, I wasn't. No, and that's the funny thing. You know, it's like uh, my blood sugar, I would go and have my blood test done, you know, twice a year, and my blood sugar was always in the normal range, you know, normal in quotes, because, you know, up to 99 is normal. And it was always up 96, 99, so I never got any warning from doctors or anything like that. So, of course, you think everything is fine. And now today I think uh, that that is a is a, a disservice that's be, being done to people because doctors don't warn them when your blood sugar is that high but still in the normal range that you really should be looking at insulin resistance symptoms. So those symptoms are what I had. Uh, you know, I talk about them on one of my other websites, but basically trouble sleeping, couldn't um, stay awake during the day, uh, food cravings, just unbelievable food cravings, couldn't stop eating, got really heavy and the whole thing. So anyway, in 2008, I just decided I was going to change my diet, and I, I started out by giving up processed food. I stopped eating anything in a box or a bag or a can, and that helped a lot. And then um, as I started to feel better, I um, started noticing that when I'd have bread, I didn't feel good. So I started cutting bread out of my diet, and um, then I started feeling really good. And um, at that point, I just was off on a path to find out how food affects my body and and started writing about it. And that's when I found out about um, the whole cholesterol uh, lie that cholesterol causes heart disease, and that started me off on a website called Healthy Eating Politics. So I wrote that site first. And then as time went on, I got more and more enthused about a low-carb diet and just realized that how much better I felt eating that way, and that's what started the ketogenic diet resource. Yeah, so it's kind of funny how we go along life, you know, in our 10, 20, 30, 40s, being brainwashed all the while that the food pyramid is health when it's the opposite. It's actually what's causing yeah. us to be overweight and have diabetes and high blood pressure and blurred vision and pain in our feet and all that stuff that yeah, you, I totally you know, experience. Yeah. And then, you know, so we figure out the the food pyramid is wrong, and then we figure out that the low-fat message is wrong, that, you know, God put Mm -hmm. fat in the food for a reason, and we should eat it. (laughs) And uh, we should not eat the stuff, you know, in factories. So here you go. You've, you know, figured this out on your own, and and then you started to lose weight, and, and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, how what, what did you see happen with your insulin and your glucose? Well, that was the amazing thing. It took it took me. It's been five years since I started all this, and it took me um, quite a while longer to get my insulin under control. I think that's how insulin resistant I was because two years into a, a low carb diet, and you know we're talking under sixty carbs a day, I went and had my insulin checked to see where it was, and um, it was still sky high, and that shocked me. And I, you know, started really looking at. Um, the causes of insulin resistance. And one of the things that I found is that um, I didn't have an exercise program because the exercise programs that I used to go to, you know, I'd go and do my one hour of aerobic exercise four times a week, and it never did anything but make me hungry. 
so um, it mm-hmm. didn't really do anything to help me lose weight or any of that stuff. So I figured out that the problem was I was doing the wrong kind of exercise. I was doing, you know, low, right. slow, long exercise. And I started doing what's called high-intensity exercise because I was reading in the studies that that is what upregulates your mitochondrial health in your muscles and making them stronger. And that is what, you know, brings down your insulin, makes your muscles really insulin sensitive. So I started a high-intensity training program and really cut my carbs to the bone and also lowered my calorie intake. And that was what, that combination was what really worked for me. I lost 80 pounds and um, reduced my insulin from 27 to 3 mm. the next time I had it taken. So yeah. it was a dramatic change. Yeah, That's pretty important. Um, and I just want to go back, circle back to insulin because, as you said, we go dutifully to the doctor and get the chem panel run, and it's a fasting glucose, and they tell you not to eat for 12 hours, and you come in and you're within their normal ranges, which you highlighted is you know too too wide, that we would rather mm-hmm. see somebody more like 65 to 85, and once you start going to you know 88, 90, 92, or 96 where you were, those are huge red flags, and nobody's calling us out on it because. The normal ranges say you're normal, but it's not normal. So I, um, like you found out, think that a fasting insulin test is, you know, powerful, and the hemoglobin A1C can be helpful. But um, what I find is when people go to their doctor to ask for a fasting insulin, the doctors won't order it. So um, I have, you know, ways of we we can get our own lab tests done so we don't have to have um, our doctor on board. If you won't order it, you can still get it done, and I can you know, even help you get an at-home test for insulin, hemoglobin A1C, glucose, you know, whatever. So just um, you know, if you're interested in at-home testing kits, then visit my website, getbetterwellness.com, and uh, contact me, and I'll tell you how to do that. But um, the fasting insulin, if they would have measured that early on, you would have been able to know that you had a huge problem. But in, in the end, you discovered it on your own. Um, yeah, and, and it was so, on my own, a lot of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, I wish I had known in my 30s what I know now. At 50, I just turned 51. So um, I think I probably uh, could have avoided a lot of the health problems that developed in my 40s. But, uh, you know, say la vie, that's how life works. And I'm glad that I know what I know now. And, uh, you know, and I'm using that information, I hope, to help other people. So I think it's, you know, sometimes it's you have to go through an experience to get to the other side and think, okay, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, and there's, you know, purpose in our pain and our journeys, and it just makes mm-hmm. us all the more passionate to help other people sooner so that they don't have to be 51 before they figure it out. Exactly, and, yeah, I agree. Um, so you had, you know, different stages in your journey, and I, you know, I did too, that first were cutting out the processed food and you feel marginally better, and then, um, and then you know, when things stop working, then you start looking for more answers. So you ended up um, realizing bread made you feel terrible. So do you attribute that to the carbohydrate or to the gluten or both? Well, I think it's, I think it's both. For me, I'm, I, I'm just one of those people that's extremely carb sensitive. Um, it's very difficult for me to keep my weight down if I don't eat less than 20 carbs a day. So uh, 
I have to stick to that. And then definitely mm-hmm. if I have any kind of gluten, I have all kinds of side effects. I get that woozy, sleepy feeling that I used to get, which is hypoglycemia, and I get, uh, um, I just don't feel good. I have all kinds of digestive issues, and it just makes mm-hmm. me feel like I've had narcotics when I eat any kind of gluten, and I don't like that feeling, right. so I, I avoid it. Like, and with all the research that I've done, it, yeah, it is, and all the research that I've done over the last five years, to me, I think, and this is just my opinion, but I think gluten is, and, and really any kind of grain or grass is poison to human beings, and it just really should be avoided in any kind of healthy diet. But that's just an opinion, and and my conclusion that I've come to over over the years of doing research on it. Uh, there's quite a bit of information out of University of Maryland with Dr. Alessio Fasano. He's got some amazing studies on gluten and um, how it tears up the gut and does all kinds of stuff to your to your uh, autoimmune system. So I avoid it. Right. I you know, and I agree with you that gluten is, you know, different and, you know, the all the details of that are in uh Dr. Davis's book, Wheat Belly, about, you know, this mm-hmm. is not the wheat of the Bible that people, you know, would like to say, but it's in the Bible. It can't be bad. No, we're eating yeah. something that, you know, our genetic friends have been, um, you know, messing with. And so now our wheat has 50% more gluten than it had 50 years ago. And in this country, we, we're following the food pyramid and eating 6 to 11 servings of it. And we're all getting sick and fat and insulin resistant and diabetic and have digestive issues. And it's the gluten, it's the gluten. And then we find it's the grains because the grains have glutens in them and they're hard to digest. So um, yeah. now the research you were talking about with Fasano um, and the autoimmune stuff is really important. So people with autoimmune diseases uh, get off the gluten and the grains and you'll yeah, be on a, a better track. Yeah. So when you um, cut out the grains, um, what happened to your energy and you know your overall health? Oh, yeah, that was the amazing thing. Once I, you know, and it's been a stepped process like that. Like I'd take out, you know, the processed foods and I took out the grains and I felt so much better. And then I really got my carbohydrate intake down and I felt amazing and had tons of energy. And um, and just it just kept going from there. I, 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 I got a couple of years after all this started, I got the flu and it just really hit me very hard. And I thought, what? why am I this sick? I eat really well. And I started doing some research on that and figured out that vitamin D was critical for respiratory issues. And I went and had my vitamin D checked and that was like tanked because I live in Wyoming and it's winter 10 months of the year right. out here. So um, so I started taking uh, vitamin D supplements and then my I just started feeling fantastic at that point. So once I got my vitamin D up and got my insulin down, um, I feel better now than I felt when I was in my 30s. Now, can I ask you, you were eating a good diet, but, you know, mm-hmm. because you got sick, you questioned it. And was the only thing you changed at that point was adding vitamin D? Yeah, I added vitamin you were already D eating to well? my uh, supplement regimen, yeah, and eating, keeping my low-carb diet. And uh, it made a huge difference in my energy and yeah. my mood. In, uh, you know, and, and now that I'm in a master's degree program right now for clinical nutrition and, and we just finished studying vitamin D and now I understand how critical it is for so many processes in the body, you know, so. Right. And I just, you know, I'm, there's been a lot of studies about, 
what happens when we're low in vitamin D, which is pretty much everybody, you know, who doesn't, um, if you're not a farmer or a lifeguard, you know, and getting soaking up the sun every day because another brainwashed uh, thing is we've been told to wear sunscreen anytime we leave the house. And yeah. so we're blocking, um, you know, this vitamin D from being produced. But I just, you know, just in the back of my mind is this newer research coming out about the levels. Like I was, you know, I and I still am at this point until I'm convinced otherwise, thinking, you know, 50, 60, 70 is a good range, but then mm-hmm. some people are saying newer research is saying 30 to 50, but I don't really believe that. And I think you're a person who, um, you know, this, this is the proof in the pudding. You are eating a good diet, and your vitamin D levels, do you remember what they were when you felt terrible? 27. They were, they were, 27. Uh, it started out at 27, which really, uh, I've talked to some people who had like 10 or 15. Right. I thought mine was bad. But uh, yeah. now the last time I had it checked, it was at 70. And I feel good at that level. I feel really good, yeah, that's, you know, that's with it where being around that level. like to see yeah. them, 50, 60, 70. But some people are starting to murmur that, oh, no, 25 and 30. And I I don't think in real life that's working for people that I work with anyway that, um, like you, you know, they feel better yeah. when it's higher. Yeah. So I guess I can um, tell when my vitamin D is down, message. absolutely. Yeah, hmm. I get... Uh, I don't feel as well. I don't feel as sharp. And uh, there's just something about having it around that level. It makes me feel really good. The other thing that I would mention about that is if you're overweight like I was, uh, when I started losing, um, I lost 60 pounds, I think, last year. And uh, during that weight loss, at the end of that weight loss, my vitamin D got really high. It got into, like, I think it was up to 80-something. And I think that's because vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin, and it gets stored in your adipose tissue and your fat tissue. And when you lose weight, that gets released into your system. So if you're on a weight loss plan and you're losing quite a bit of weight, make sure you get your vitamin D levels checked before you supplement. Right. Good advice. So um, how did it come about? You were already doing a website. Uh, What's your first website called? HealthyEatingPolitics.com. Okay, so because you were sharing this information that you were discovering yeah, and then... Yeah, that that website's all about how cholesterol is not the cause of heart disease and why statins are dangerous and why a whole foods diet is so much better for you. Good. And so how did this current um, research come about relating to the ketogenic diet and cancer? How did, you know, that start to unfold? The, uh, you know, I'd had the, the website up for two years, and um, about a year and a half into it, I found this blog on the web by a, a man named Dominic D'Agostino, who does ketone research at the University of South Florida, Dr. D'Agostino, and uh, he um, started a blog and started writing about ketogenic diets and cancer, and I wrote to him and said, hey, I have this other website, and I would like to link to your blog if you're going to flesh it out and put some stuff, because he had a lot of research and things on there. And he wrote back to me, and we started a relationship, and he's been sharing my website with other people when he goes to talks because there's not very many websites talking about ketogenic diets. So we've just been kind of sharing each other's information with other people. And last December, the uh, Christian Broadcasting Network, 700 Club, contacted him to do an interview uh, about how ketogenic diets can be used to support cancer patients. And he gave them my website, so they linked to my website. I get 10,000 visitors in one day. And um, 
I started getting emails from people all over the world asking me wow. how to implement a ketogenic diet for cancer. And I would, wow. you know, talk to Dr. D'Agostino. If it was a really, you know, high medical question that I couldn't answer, I'd get his advice and I'd cobble these emails and send them back to people. And this went on for several months, and I just started getting these heartbreaking emails from people. You know, I just want to mm-hmm. see my kids grow up, and the chemo is making me really sick. I don't want to do it. And uh, mm-hmm. so I, I just, it just came to a conclusion where I thought that a, these people need a resource, a real resource, not an email back to them, but something that they can really sink their teeth into and, and figure out what exactly, how do I do this diet and how is it going to help me and, and what is the science and all of that. So I just got right. that final straw email um, from somebody saying they just wanted to see their kids grow up and I just sat down and started writing the book and got about <laughs> halfway through it and <laughs> started and then I, I wrote to Dr. D'Agostino and uh, I, had, I had recently purchased a book called Cancer as a Metabolic Disease and it's by a doctor named Thomas Seafried who's at Boston College and in this amazing book and um, basically, he goes into um, the, the I don't know if you've ever heard of the Warburg effect, but in the 1920s, right. Dr. Otto Warburg had the theory that cancer is really a metabolic disease, not a genetic disease. And Dr. Seafried basically um, puts to rest all of the problems that um, had pushed Dr. Warburg's theory to the side and um, has brought this back into the limelight. And uh, he writes about his studies that he's used that he's done doing a, using a ketogenic diet to treat cancer, and they've been very successful. And basically the message is that cancer is a metabolic disease, not a genetic disease. And so the ketogenic diet can work to stop it or slow the growth of it because cancer is basically a problem with uh, mitochondrial function and metabolic function in the cell. It, it basically can only burn sugar for fuel, and while your other cells can burn either sugar or what are called ketone bodies, which are made from burning there are side products from burning fat for fuel. So when you lower your blood sugar and up your ketones, which is what a ketogenic diet does for you, you put metabolic pressure on the cancer to stop it from growing while you're supporting your other cells. So it's a non-toxic therapy that people can choose, and um, it, it, it works. It's, I can't say that it's going to cure cancer, but it, at the least it, it, it helps people who are going under... Um, mainstream theories feel better. It helps them reduce the effects of chemotherapy and radiation. So for me, even that goal is is good enough to even start the diet. So, yeah, it's sad because it's just food and it's so powerful. And people mm-hmm. who are getting the diagnosis of cancer aren't getting that information that go on the ketogenic diet quick and get off you know mm-hmm. the processed food. Um, and you'll starve your cancer cells. Instead, they're giving given three, you know, treatment options: cut, burn, poison, and not given the thing that actually works. Um, and doctors know that cancer cells eat glucose because of the PET scans. Um, do you want right. to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, there's a uh, m- most cancers. I can't say all of cancers, but most cancers do show a propensity for uptaking sugar. So they use a test called a PET, an FDG PET scan. Um, the FDG part stands for fluorodeoxyglucose. It's a glucose, what they call a glucose analog drug. It's not really sugar, but it, it acts like sugar in the body, um, but it can't be broken down by the cells. 
but then they attach a radioactive isotope to that and they inject it into the cancer patient. And you can see on a PET scan, which is uh, stands for pos- positron emission t- tomography, and basically what it does is it tracks that radioactive isotope in the body and you can see on these PET scans how that cancer just kind of sucks up all of that um, glucose analog drug. And so it's just indicative that the cancer is, you know, looking for sugar to fuel itself. And um, they use that test to find the cancers and treat them. Um, uh, so when that is, is uh, so cancers that, that take up more of that glucose and, and that drug are probably going to be more, responsive to a ketogenic diet. However, Dr. Seafried has shown that almost all cancers are responsive to this. Just getting your blood sugar down and your ketones up really puts a lot of metabolic pressure on cancer. So then you got to wonder, you know, Otto Warburg, 1924, he was a Nobel Prize winning biochemist. This information was known and not you know, carried through. And he said, Mm -hmm. and you put this in your book on page five, that, um, you know, that the prime cause of cancer is, you know, the the fermentation of sugar. Um, That, you know, it's just sad that it's um, something that we have a lot of control over, but when we get the diagnosis, we go limp and like, okay, when's my surgery and when do I show up for chemo? We don't even, we turn it off because we're like, get it out of me. I don't even, I just don't want it in me. I'll do whatever you say, get it out of me. And that's the wrong thinking. We got to think, this is my body. I got to take control. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons, you know, uh, the biggest reasons I wrote the book is to give people a choice. Um, you know, and, their, and some control over their own treatment because, you know, I'm sure it is terrifying to get a diagnosis like that. And, you know, you want to uh, put all your faith in your doctor, but doctors don't know a lot about nutrition. They don't get any training in it, and uh, they don't trust it because they don't understand it. So uh, they are more apt to offer a drug or surgery or whatever it is before they offer any kind of dietary therapy. Right, and they they have to with standard of care, you know, that that's why the Mm -hmm. patient has to be um, reading. And this would be, you know, your book would be a great place to start because it's um, understandable and backed by science. So, you know, the average person can pick it up and and get the meaning, know what to do, um, and be able to, you know, explain it to somebody else of why you're doing this. But you know, we just got to go back to, as you explain in your book, that there's two types of primary food-based fuels that our cells can use for energy. And, you know, one is the, the glucose and the other is um, comes from fatty acids. So I want to talk a little bit more about ketones and fat and mm-hmm. why we need to eat them and, you know, ketone bodies and all of that and how, you know, we can run the body very well, even better on ketones. And the myth that we need to have so many carbohydrates in our diet is is a myth. And uh, so the ketogenic diet is healthy for everyone, not just cancer patients. But can you talk about um, how this fuel works? If we're going to an alternative fuel source, we need to understand it a little bit better. Right. So uh, your normal cells, cells that are healthy and have healthy mitochondria, can they start out with uh, making energy through a process called glycolysis, and that's burning a little bit of sugar. But then that process quickly moves into the mitochondria where 
fatty acids are burned for fuel and um, a lot more ATP, which is our energy source in our fuels, is made. And um, that has a by If there are more fatty acids being burned than sugar, then you, you make these ketone byproducts. So let me just back up there. The um, your body has two ways of burning fuel. It can, if you eat a lot of carbohydrates, it's going to depend on carbohydrate for full, for fuel, and it's going to um, ramp up the mechanisms or the enzymes that are needed to burn sugar for fuel. But if you drop your carbohydrate intake, and by carbohydrates I mean you know your sugars, your starches, um, foods that turn quickly to sugar in your blood when they're digested, if you drop your carbohydrate intake, it sort of forces your body to switch its mechanisms to burning fat for fuel. So you're either burning the fat that's in your diet, um, that would be, you know, your coconut oils and butter and olive oil, whatever fats you're eating in your diet, or the fat that you have stored in your body. And once the cells start burning those fatty acids for fuel, they uh, these byproducts called ketone bodies are made, and the normal cells, even your brain cells, which depend heavily on glucose, can um, use these ketone bodies for fuel when they're at really high levels in the blood. So the higher your ketone levels are and the lower your blood sugar, the more ketone bodies your cells are going to burn. The problem with the, the where cancer is vulnerable is that it cannot burn those ketone bodies for fuel. It has no mitochondrial mechanism to do that. So when you drop your blood sugar very low and you get those ketones really high, this cancer starts running out of fuel and it can't fuel itself to grow or and literally it starts starving for fuel. While your other cells who run very well on ketone bodies and in some studies have shown that they actually do better when they're running on ketone bodies um, are perfectly fine and there's no toxic side effects from the diet. Right, and that's... Um that that's the thing we have to get our head around. We're not just eating a high fat diet just because it's a good way to fight cancer, which it is, but our cells prefer to run on, you know, these products of um burning fat for fuel, ketone bodies. They prefer it. Even the brain, you know, prefers it. Mm-hmm. And there might be one type of cell in the body that needs glucose. I think it's the red blood cell. But all mm-hmm. of the requirements that your body has can be met through, you know, even the, a moderate protein intake. So the argument yeah. is is dead that we need to eat, you know, carbohydrates to live. We don't, and the science supports it. So yeah. um, what about protein? Well, How much protein and what kind of protein? Um, protein is usually, on, on this particular diet for cancer patients, and really a ketogenic diet in general, protein is restricted to body maintenance amounts. So that works out to about, and this is going to be a little formula coming up here, so it's about 0.8 to 1.2 grams of protein per kilogram of ideal body weight. So what that works out to, if you weigh 150 pounds, probably you should stay in a protein range of about 68 to about 80 grams of protein. And that translates into real food um, when you realize that one ounce of meat or poultry or seafood has about 7 grams of protein. So if you divide that 7 into, you know, 80, you're going to get around, you know, 10, 12 ounces of protein a day. Um, On a ketogenic diet, so it's important to keep that protein moderate because, any excess protein that you eat can be turned right into glucose in your in your body because 
um, protein is high in nitrogen, so your body wants to, it can't store it, so it's got to burn it or either get rid of it somehow. So um, you'll find that it gets turned into fatty acids or something like that in your body. But So it's good to stay moderate on your protein level, very low on your carbohydrate levels, and then eat fat to fill in if you're hungry. And your fats can be either nuts or avocados or, like I said, coconut oil or butter or olive oil, those kinds of things. But um, the reason that uh, this whole carbohydrate are required myth is just what we were talking about with brain fuel. Um, dietitians are trained heavily in the in the idea that um, carbohydrates are required for brain fuel and that if you don't get enough carbohydrates, your body's going to burn through your muscles. It will use the protein that's stored in your muscles to make glucose for the brain. But what they don't realize is the studies, the studies that I've looked at and I've read, show that once you are what Jeff Volick at the University of Connecticut calls keto-adapted, meaning your cells have switched that mechanism over to burning ketones for fuel, that requirement for brain glucose goes way down, and you can make that um, from the substrates from uh, the protein that you eat or the little parts of fatty acids called glycerol. That's the only need a very small amount of glucose for your brain once your brain is keto-adapted because about 50% of the fuel at that point can be ketone bodies instead of glucose. So that's where that whole myth comes about that, you know, carbohydrates are just so required because you're going to lose your lean body mass, your muscle mass, if you don't eat enough carbohydrates. But that's been shown many times in many gold standard studies that, a ketogenic diet actually helps you keep your muscle mass because there's this adaptive mechanism with the ketone bodies. Now, in your book, you talk about um, some um, case studies, I guess, like Dr. Linda Nebeling. Nebeling. Had mm-hmm. two young girls with brain cancer on a ketogenic diet. So this, there's no restriction on age or um, are there any mm-hmm. contraindications for the diet? There are contraindications in terms of some of the drugs that are being prescribed for cancer patients. Um, the uh, ones that I know about, the anti-seizure medications can cause uh, a condition called acidosis. And because ketones are a little bit acidic, that might there might be some issues there with uh, increasing your the blood, your acid pH of your blood. So those are contraindicated. There's another uh, drug called Lupron that uh, can raise blood sugar significantly, so it's contraindicated. Because any drug that you're taking that's going to raise your blood sugar is going to make it very difficult for you to get your blood sugar down low enough for to starve the cancer. Um, diuretics right. should be discontinued because a ketogenic diet is extremely um, di- diuretic on its own. It, it's one of the great things about being in ketosis is that your body starts working the way it's supposed to work. It releases water when it's supposed to, and... and um, uh, so you release a lot of water when you go on a ketogenic diet, whereas a high-carb diet makes you retain water, which is what drives up your blood sugar and contributes to all of those health problems. So diuretics should be discontinued, and steroids uh, should not be used when you're using this diet because they can also drive up blood sugar and reduce the, the diet's effect. So Okay. Um, so do you want to talk about any you know, case studies, stories, people, you know, the doctor on the 700 Club program. I mean, people kind of just relate to stories. So if one or two comes to mind, yeah. you know, of people who did this. 
um, Dr. Hatfield, who's who they talked about on the 700 Club, and that was back in December. If any, if anybody wants to go there, just go to the 700 Club and look at December shows. But Dr. Hatfield uh, was working with Don D'Agostino and uh, uh, was diagnosed with cancer. I can't remember what kind of cancer, but I think it was glioblastoma, brain cancer. But uh, he immediately put himself on the ketogenic diet and um, saw a complete remission of his cancer over time. And, um, it, you know, not saying that that's going to happen for everyone, but uh, it does work. Dr. Seaford has a study um, where a woman who had brain cancer went on the ketogenic diet, got her blood sugars down and her ketones up, and the tr- her tumor shrunk, um, was undetectable after a certain amount of time. And um, the sad thing is, once once that came about, she went off the diet, and the tumor came back, and finally she and it and it she passed away from it. So, um, you know, that's not to scare anyone or that you have to stay on the diet. There's still a lot of research being done. Dr. Seifert and Dr. D'Agostino uh, are doing great work, and um, I wish there was a way to figure out how to support their work and get them some funding because so many more studies need to be done. Uh, with humans, you know, not just mice, and um, it, uh, I think it's it's um, probably going to be the wave of the future for cancer research. But there, yeah, there's Linda Nebling started this back in, uh, I don't know, I can't remember when her study was, but um, yeah, she saw it with these two little girls. They both had brain cancer, and she put them on this diet. They did, they, you know, the diagnosis of brain cancer is what I've heard is that it's not. Um, it's basically a time thing. It's not, you know, will you die? It's that you are going to die. It's just going to be how how long out will that be? And um, the ketogenic diet has been shown to extend people's lives for many, many years. And, um, you know, but in the case of Dr. Hatfield, it's still in remission. So uh, it's it's effective because it addresses cancer where it's vulnerable. And right. it's... It, yeah, cancer is a metabolic disease, not a genetic disease. And getting that across to the medical community, I think, is going to be a, a huge fight. But uh, Dr. Seifert has written an excellent book that any doctor interested in this should read. Well, why don't you give us some of your books that doctors should read and books that anyone should read? Um, you know, yeah. as you've been researching, you've you've come across a good list that I was writing down and going to start adding to my collection. Yeah. So um, Cancer as a Metabolic Disease by Thomas N. Seafried. It's the first book I would have any oncologist read. Um, for any doctor listening about ketogenic diets, Gary Taub's Good Calories, Bad Calories is an excellent um, treatise on why we are went down the low-fat, high-grain road that we've been on for 40 years. It's been really making people sick. Um, he talks about how the research on low-carb diets got derailed and uh what we can do about that. And um, uh, there's a, a great book called, um, um, hold on just a second, The Great Cholesterol Con by uh, Anthony Copo is excellent for anybody who's not sure about the cholesterol uh, right. story. And I have uh, uh, anything by Richard Bernstein in terms of diabetes and, and low-carb diets is excellent. Gary Tobbs wrote another book called Why We Get Fat. That's more of a layman's uh, treatise on the low-carb diets. There's there's a ton of books out there uh, for sure. Nora Goddess's Primal, Bind, uh, Primal Body, Primal Mind is an excellent yeah, book. I like 
Yeah, like that I'm one, sure Jill. you've read that one. Yeah, that's a great book. And uh, there's, yeah, I've got a, a whole library here. I'm looking at my bookcase while I'm talking to you. And there's a, I have, I don't know, a thousand books probably on, on uh, diet and and what's uh, healthy for us and what isn't. Um, lots of, uh, you know, hold the grain books and get away from eating gluten. Those are all in my library as well. <clears throat> mhm. Exactly. There. The science is there. The information is there. You know, if you're only listening to conventional medical, quote-unquote, wisdom, and, um, you know, it, it's just going to be buried. It's not going to ever come forward. So you you can educate yourself. You can learn. You can read from doctors if you feel like you can't listen to nutritionists like us that there's plenty of MDs out there who are writing books that are understandable and getting the the word out in um you know maximize living chiropractors would be another place I would um go for not only um you know chiropractic adjustment which is phenomenal for all of health and wellness but um well wellness physicians like Dr. Jockers online he has testimonies of um people you know, being healed from their cancer, and drjoshax.com is another, you know, just a really good basic uh, website for health and wellness, and there are, you know, nutrition stories um, healing cancer. So it can be for you, it can be, you know, the answer that you've been looking for, a way out of uh, feeling crummy and, and feeling like a victim, um, because we, you know, we know we know it works. We know it helps, and um, it's just really exciting to see people come f- feeling, you know, poor and tired and, you know, hopeless. And then when they begin eating a real food diet with um, restricted carbs that's ketogenic, and just to see, you know, the benefits, and then they can see the results when they're getting, you know, test having their tumors tested. So. Yeah. Yeah, there's um, quite a few well, people talking on forums about this. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, no, uh, uh, one one guy, his name is Peter Trahern, he has a, a blog, and I was just reading a forum comment by him the other day that uh, since he started the ketogenic diet, his uh, markers have gone way down, and uh, for his cancer markers, and so he's having some success with it. But uh, one of the things I just want to emphasize again that I think is really important is um, this is not the, the the cancer diet is somewhat different than a regular ketogenic diet in that it also recommends a calorie restriction. So it's it's partly the, it, it all works kind of synergistically together. You get your blood sugar down and your ketones up, and you restrict your calories so that those two ranges can be met because they're pretty low ranges. You know, blood sugar fifty five to sixty five milligrams per deciliter for in the American units and 3 to 3.5 in uh, European units but which is uh you know it's a little bit of work to get it down that low but so the calorie restriction helps with that and that helps also to get your ketones into a, a 3 to 7 millimole range which is very important uh so um but the the emphasis that I wanted to make as well is that it, you know, it yes, it works to stop the cancer cancer growth and to starve those cells, but it also supports the rest of your cells so that if you have to have chemotherapy or radiation, you're going to have, uh, you know, people are reporting very little side effects from those other therapies, 
And so for that reason alone, I think it's important to get on a ketogenic diet if you have cancer because it's going to help you withstand those standard of care therapies much more easily. Okay. Now, part of your book is um, practical, helping people, okay, so what do I eat, (laughs) you know, if I'm not eating boxes and cans? So you have some uh, basic meal templates um, and then some recipes. So can you kind of talk about the real practical parts of it and, and what people will find in your book? Sure. The the book I I wrote the book in, in layman's terms and with really practical you know how to calculate how much protein you need how to calculate how much fat you should be eating how many carbs and um, and also provided one of the things that I find when when you put somebody on a ketogenic diet who's used to eating bread and crackers and things like that um, it's it's tough it's tough to switch your eating habits I mean you know this and I know this it's it takes a lot of work and a lot of energy and a lot of time. So um, it's important to provide for people uh, substitutes, you know, for the bread and crackers that they're used to having. So some of the recipes in there do that. I have a bread recipe in there that I think is fantastic, but that's just me because it's my recipe. So um, there's there's things in the book that t- it tells you exactly what foods you can eat, exactly what foods you should be avoid- avoiding, and how to set up a basic meal template. So you know, at breakfast you're going to have a protein source and then you're going to add fat to that and very little carbohydrate. And you kind of just follow that template throughout the day. And you can spread your meals out over the day or you can have two meals a day. It really is going to depend on on your individual measures of your blood sugar and ketone levels. And that's the other thing the book talks about is how to measure your blood sugar, how to measure your ketone levels, what supplies you need to do that and and that's really going to be the the marker for each individual. As you start the diet, you know, eat the foods you're supposed to be eating, avoid the foods you're supposed to avoid, and then check your blood sugars and keep a log of what you're eating and your blood sugars and your ketone levels, and that's going to drive what um, what foods you can or can't eat because everybody's an individual and people are going to respond differently to different foods. Some people might be able to eat a little more protein and not have any blood sugar issues. Other people might be more sensitive to it and have to drop their protein a little bit. Um, some people might have to drop their calories a little more to get to that blood glucose range. Um, but th- all of those specifics are dealt with in the book and how to do it and what you know, even what kitchen supplies you might need to start the diet. And um, the, I have a section in there on dealing with dessert cravings and there's a section on exercise. Should you exercise hard or light? Um, can I have a glass of wine at night? What stress does to your blood sugar? Um, and then there's the, the huge debate about acidity and alkalinity. I get that question a lot on my um, email. People will write to me and, and say that they've looked at these websites that talk about acidity and alkalinity, and you should have an alkaline diet if you're a cancer patient. And um, I talked to Dr. D'Agostino about that, and basically what he was saying is that cancer itself is has an acidic byproduct from just being there in your body. So it's not so much that your diet being acidic or alkalinic has any effect on the cancer. Um, he said it doesn't hurt to eat an alkaline diet, which is more vegetables and, things, and fruits and stuff like that, but really you want to hit the cancer where it hurts, which is getting you know your blood sugars down low enough that it starves the cancer. Um, the thing with an alkaline diet that I see is I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying an alkaline diet is pretty high in carbohydrate because you're eating a lot of fruits and vegetables. So um, it's a little bit 
um, it, it doesn't mesh well with a ketogenic diet. But there's nothing wrong with eating lots of vegetables, but they should be green leafy vegetables that are very low in carbohydrate. Right. And some of these recipes sound really good. You know, you mentioned your bread yeah, I love recipe, that bread recipe. It, it's, it's great. Grain free, but it's also high fiber and uh, and has mm-hmm. some surprising ingredients. So I got to try it since you know the picture yeah, looks you. fabulous. It's, <laughs> it's my favorite. I love that that bread. I make it every week, and it's fantastic for sandwiches. It makes a killer sandwich. Um, and that was one of the things I missed a little bit about giving up bread is just being able to, you know, for quick lunch, have a sandwich. And this uh, this makes it available to me, you know, and to anybody who wants to use the recipe. And it is very delicious. And there's two different. Think, uh, there's a, a dairy-free and a non and a dairy one. So Okay. And then you put in there um, net carbs, you know, fiber, calories, and all of that so people can see, you know, mm-hmm. what a serving is providing. So... I'm looking, um, the net carbs are like three for a sandwich roll kind of a thing. So definitely would be able to keep you in ketosis. (laughs) Absolutely. Very high fat, very low carb. um, And, uh, yeah, and in the back of the book I have a whole carb counter table with, uh, you know, like uh, common foods and there's some conversion tables and a glossary. And, you know, it's just really written to give everybody they need, anybody that wants to try this, everything they need to to do the diet. Now, one of the things I do emphasize in the book is that um, they really the physician for any cancer patient should be involved in this. They should know that it's going on, and, and hopefully they'll be um, supportive of it and, um and maybe learn something about ketogenic diets and what they can do for uh, people who are ill. So um, I encourage people to find a physician that will help them with this or support it. And I know that's going to be somewhat difficult because there aren't a lot of dietitians or doctors that know about this yet. And uh, like I said, they're somewhat resistant to the message, you know, the high-fat diet. But hopefully Mm -hmm. people will be able to work with their physician on this. Okay. Well, Ellen, thank you. This has been really informative. And um, can you tell us where people can go to get your ebook? Yeah, it's on my website, which is the ketogenicdietresource.com. And uh, there's a picture of the book right on the front page of the website. They can just click on that, and it'll take them to the page where they can uh, uh, view a, um, a quick peek look at the book if they'd like before they purchase it, and then they can go ahead and purchase it on that page if they'd like to. And, again, that's the ketogenic-diet-resource.com. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Ellen. This has been Ellen Davis. Thank you. And the Real Food Revivalist, Darren Chamberlick with GetBetterWellness.com. And while we, while, <laughs> we hope that you enjoyed this show and we'll come back and listen again. So thank you, everybody. Have a great day. Thank, thank you, you, Alan. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.